To be honest with you, um, I was going to start a series uh, on um, the book of Revelation tonight, um, but I kind of got backed up and I, I, I began to study something else, um, and because that was my plan to kind of start that, and that's a pretty lengthy series, and, and I, I don't know, I just, I, I, had a, I had a hesitation about that tonight, so we'll just kind of see uh, where, that, where that ends up, and uh, we're really, really close to being able to get on, uh, do live stream also, uh, and so um, um, I may wait until we're up functional doing that because there may be some, I don't want, I want people if they're not able to be here or what have you that they don't get lost on something like that, so we may start then, I don't know, I don't know if that was the reason or not, but tonight I want to talk to you about grace, and um, as I began to just kind of study about this and everything, um, it really was gonna going into um, what we talked about Sunday and talking Sunday about um, uh, not just being Christians that, that, that come into the church and are just here, um, you know, but, but people that are really beginning to, um, uh, to be aware of the fact that we have a calling on our life and that calling is to win people to the Lord. Amen? And uh, so a lot of times I think that we're a lot, of, a lot of times leery of doing this because of not being very confident and knowing what to say when we get in those situations. I know that I've been in that situation. Uh, you know, something funny about when I was uh, really young in the Lord, I remember I had, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, I grew up kind of shy, you know, and that I may be hard to believe, but um, I, you wouldn't have dare caught me up here doing this. Um, but just was pretty shy as a kid uh, and, and everything, and probably the most I'd ever done was I uh, was a part of the, the school choir when like sixth grade or something. But um, my youth pastor was not shy. Some of you guys have probably met him, uh, Randy Goodo. He's come here before. And uh, I remember him just preaching and talking about, you know, going to the parking lots and standing up in the back of the truck, uh, somebody's truck, and, you know, preaching Jesus and all the whole park, all the teenagers, you know, all that stuff. And so I kind of had this pressure on me, especially when I got here as a youth pastor, and I was thinking, I, I, if I'm not jumping up in the back of the truck in Brookshire's parking lot preaching Jesus to, you know, maybe some of y'all that were down there in that parking lot, I don't know, and uh, <laughs> then I'm not really doing anything. I just had this pressure on me and, and everything to, to kind of do that in my mind. And I remember one night, uh, I think Christy had went to bed because she goes to bed about 8.30, and I, I didn't at that time. I do now. And, uh, but um, I was sitting there. And I'd been studying, and I'd been praying, and I just got to burning in my heart. And I thought, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go witness, you know. And I'm, I'm maybe, maybe 20, 21 years old. And uh, so I jump in my car, and I come down here, and there's a whole parking lot full of teenagers at that time down here at Brookshire's, and they're cutting up and everything. So I, I remember I, t I made a loop in that parking lot, and I looked at, them, and they just looked back at me, and I looked at them, and they looked back at me, and then I just pulled out of the parking lot. And I thought, no, 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 I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back. So I come back around, and I go back through there, and I, they're just looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I, I pull out again, and I went down to New Way. Walked into New Way. There was one lady in New Way as a checker, and I bought a pack of gum, and before I left, I said, Jesus loves you, and I just walked out, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, and I think a lot of times you just, it's, it's hard for us to break that ice because we, we have this idea, and that's what I talked about Sunday. We kind of have this idea of being some kind of a street preacher or something like that where we're, we're, you know, when we say we need to witness for the Lord, that uh, we need to jump up on, you know, a, a box and start beginning to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now, there may be somebody in here that that's your gift and that's, uh, you, you, you have something about you that is able to do that. But I would say nine people out of ten are not people that, uh, that that's within their wheelhouse to do. You know, I think that... Um, you guys, I don't really know him very well, but there was a, a guy who came from uh, England not too long ago and, and uh, ministered here on a Sunday or something I saw, and I had watched some of his videos, and he's that guy. He'll get up in the back of a truck in the streets of England, and that's way worse than Southern America, you know, because they're completely, almost completely atheistic. I was there back in 2000 um, in, uh, in, in Europe, and they were almost completely atheistic back then. I mean, you can hardly find anybody that would that would even talk to you about Jesus back then. And, uh, and so there, there's, there may be like a, a special gift going on where they're a true evangelist. Uh, but as Christians, and we talked about it Sunday, 
um, you know, we're called, we're, we, we may not be a true evangelist, but we're, true, we're called to evangelize, every single one of us, uh, and where we're at. And really, it's that one-on-one evangelism, that one-on-one witnessing uh, that the church has been missing for a long, long time, really since the days of the, uh, of the um, when, when the New Testament church was first born, uh, after, uh, you know, the days of Pentecost and stuff, right there with the, the original apostles and disciples and different ones like that. You know, it, it's it's just never has gotten back to the point where they're, where people go door to door, person to person, uh, like that. You have pockets of people that do that, but just on a mass scale, it hasn't happened. You know, we have had mass evangelism where somebody that is gifted at uh, getting up and doing altar calls and different things and preaching uh, to a point where people are convicted. Uh, you have had pockets, and you have had times of that where somebody could, uh, you know, Billy Graham's one of the one of the recent greats of that. And now his son, Franklin, I mean, he's doing the same thing. And that's kind of a mass evangelism where one person is, um, you know, uh, renting out a stadium, renting out a, you know, uh, a big area, and they're getting a lot of people saved at one time. And that's great and that's necessary. Um, But really the Great Commission isn't going to get done by, you know, uh, just a few people doing mass evangelism. If If it's going to be successful in the church, then the church is going to have to take individual responsibility for that. And going back to my original point, I believe that a lot of times we haven't done that because we haven't been taught very well how to, like, just the nuts and bolts of how to witness. You know, it's kind of like we, we all kind of just figure out, uh, either we do or we don't. We figure out or we don't figure out how to do it. And, and then sometimes, like me, I just thought, well, maybe I'm just not like my youth pastor, Andy. And I'm not. That's not my gifting. You know, I'm, I'm more gifted one-on-one. I'm more gifted in a situation like this. Um, you know, um, if somebody invites me into a situation and asks me to preach or teach or anything like that, I'm very comfortable with that. I remember the first time uh, that I went and preached to our college football team in Magnolia. I mean, that didn't bother me at all. I was that because they knew why I was coming. I knew why I was coming. It was a prepared thing, and you know, like 11, 11 of those uh, uh, young men got saved that day. And there's been several times I've gone and done that, but just to show up in a crowd of people and begin to uh, you know, to begin to witness and stuff, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Now, if the Lord told me to do it, I, I, would, I would do it the best I could. Um, but I am better one-on-one. I am better in a situation like this. And so, but each and every one of us should begin to get to a point where we can effectively share the gospel lovingly one-on-one. And I think that um, one of the best things that we can do is to begin to learn how to do that, begin to think about that, begin to really think about what we're doing because sometimes... Um, you know, witnessing, I think, for the Christian can almost become like, uh, uh, you you know, chores when you're a kid, you know, and and maybe you can't remember back when you were a kid, but uh, definitely most of of everybody has kids in here, and I've had the conversation many times with my kids of, uh, you know, when you ask them to vacuum the floor or sweep the floor or mow the yard, you know, they think the object of it is to turn the vacuum on and push it in the house and say you vacuumed, right? And I go, no, no. The point of it is to pick all the junk up off the floor. I don't, and they're like, did you, you didn't vacuum. Yes, I did. Well, there's still stuff on the floor. Well, I vacuumed. I turned it on. The point is when you walk away from the carpet, whether you vacuum it with the vacuum or pick it up with your finger, that when you walk away, it's picked up, right? And so sometimes as Christians, I think we can, if we put uh, the things that we are responsible for as the church into those categories, well, I went to church, you know, well, I, you know, I posted Jesus loves you on Facebook. You know, the point is not to, not to uh, crank the motor up and do a little something. The point is that the job gets done. Amen. And so uh, I think one of the main things we're going to talk about tonight is when we begin to really understand the grace of God that's pointed towards us, then we're going to more effectively be able to communicate that to people because we're going to see tonight one of the main things that I think sinners need to know is how good God is even in the face of their sins. Amen? So, John, the first chapter, we're going to read 14 through 17. It says, And the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, watch this, full of grace and truth. 
So Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. John bore witness of him and and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he, he, he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received. Watch this. And grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. And the amplified version of that says this. For out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace, or the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, has the ability to change the quality of our life here on earth if you have a correct understanding of what the grace of God is. Grace affects the way we view God the way we think God views us, and ultimately the way we view and interact with each other. And I'm going to show you this. And, and I know that over the years um, there's been people that have begun to uh, preach a grace message, and um, they're not all wrong, uh, but at the same time it's the wrong way of looking at it, I think, sometimes. And, and you do get into areas uh, where uh, you can, you can kind of almost get into areas almost like Catholicism where... Uh, Catholicism is kind of one of those things uh, that you do anything you want to do as long as you just go confess it and you know get it right with the priest kind of thing, and um, and so and that's that's just working at the wrong end of things there, but we can we can't truly obey and walk in the New Testament law of love unless we have a correct view of God's grace. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment of the law was, this was his answer: Matthew twenty-two, verse thirty-seven. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Verse 39 says this, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, we're doing away with do's and don'ts. That's really what he's saying. Because, uh, you know, they were trying to hang him up there. They were trying to get him to say, what is the thing that you really don't need to do. And Jesus is trying to get them to see, let's not get hung up on the do's and don'ts because we're going we're gonna to get rid of the do's and the don'ts. We're going to get rid of the loopholes that the do's and the don'ts create. And we're just going to take everything and we're going to judge it against the love of God. Amen? So do's and don'ts, as I said a, a second ago, they have loopholes. And that's what was going on. And anytime you have religion you're going to have loopholes in your life. You're going to have, we could say it like this, justifications. You remember what Jesus said when, uh, they were, uh, when he was asked about adultery and different things like that? He said, you know, you've heard it said that if, if a man and a woman that are not married uh, have sex, they are committing adultery. But then he said, but I'm telling you, if you look on a woman with lustful intents, you've already done it. So, what was, what was Jesus doing? He was trying to break down this where, where if you have the law and you have do's and don'ts, like I can do this and I can't do that, then uh, human nature, fallen human nature, is to find a way around the, the purpose of that do or that don't and get done what they want to get done anyway without being guilty. You know, you ever heard somebody say, well, technically... You know what I'm saying? That's, that's trying to find the loophole in the do and the don't. And so Jesus was saying, we're not going to have the, the law of the letter. I'm doing away with that. And I'm going to put in its place two laws, and it is love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you're doing, if you're doing those two things, then your motive is right in what you're doing, so therefore you're being pure in what you're doing. Right? And uh, so... You know, if I love somebody, am I going to murder them? No. If I love somebody, am I going to steal from them? No. If I love somebody, am I going to, you know, you can go through the Ten Commandments and then all the commandments in Leviticus. And if you are walking in love towards somebody, you're not going to do that. 
So Jesus was like, quit concentrating on the do's and the don'ts and just begin to concentrate on loving, me, uh, loving the Father with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. And you're, you're going to take care of all those do's and don'ts. Amen? <clears throat> You'll never fully be able to walk in the love of God if you never get the revelation of how God views you and those around you in His grace. So walking in the love of God, if you haven't figured it out, is probably one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. And you can't do it on your own. It has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're never going to fully walk in the love of God until you begin to see how good God has been to you and how much grace has been on your life and how much grace is on their life. Amen? I know I've, I've had to do that before because... You know, I've had even, you know, God and the Holy Spirit rebuke me before about how I've, you know, uh, I guess held my kids to a standard that, um, you know, a lot of times I don't even hold myself to. You ever done that? You know, can we all be honest in here? You know, and, uh, and I remember one time I corrected one of them and, uh, and I said something or I did something and, and I walked away and I just, uh, clear as a bell, I heard the Holy Spirit say, aren't you glad I don't deal with you that way? And I went, oh, you know, why? Because... He loves us so much that he is more concerned about getting to our heart than about calling us out on our do's and don'ts all the time. Amen? For a lot of people, grace is not all that amazing. Some people get more excited about a new restaurant that's coming to town or a shopping deal uh, they got or something natural. But when you really begin to experience the grace of God it, it, and you begin to get a revelation on it of the grace of God, you'll begin to realize that it is the most amazing thing that we have in our life is the, is the grace of God, the favor of God. But I, but I do. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get more excited about something new that came out or something like that because it's something that gets to be so commonplace in our life that if we don't meditate on how good God's been to us, we'll begin to, we'll begin to almost think that, that God hasn't been good to us. Anybody ever gotten to a place where you're just having a pity party and, and, and you've just forgotten how good God has been to you? That's, that's, that's forgetting about the grace of God that's on your life. So <clears throat> I kind of wrote a question down here. It's a little bit interactive. I mean, you don't have to answer me out loud. But just in your heart, um, I want to go into talking about good versus bad. And I just kind of want you to ask yourself, how good do you think you are? You know what I mean? Like, how good do you think? And I'll explain. I'll explain. It's a very important question when we're examining the grace of God because the reason why grace is not amazing to most people is because they overestimate or they underestimate how good they are. I'll further explain. Just, just, just hang with me. The problem with thinking along those lines, whether overestimating or underestimating how good you are, the problem with, with, with thinking along those lines is you're always the standard. You're always the standard. When you're thinking about how good am I today how be- or how not good am I today, You've made someone you admire the standard, maybe. Anybody ever thought to, my, to, thought to yourself, well, if I can just be as good as Mamma was, or if I can just be as good as Daddy was, or if I can just be as good as so-and-so, right? You, so sometimes we, we make ourselves the standard. Sometimes we make somebody we admire the standard. <clears throat> or you size yourself up with someone you feel is beneath you, it makes your situation seem a little bit better. And you say, I don't know if I've ever done that. Listen, you want to feel good about yourself? Go watch Hoarders and My 600-Pound Life. You'll feel real good about yourself. That's what I'm saying. So, so we, we, we're, we're in this line of thinking where, oh, I'm good or I'm bad. But a lot of times what we're doing is we're, we're putting what we're doing and who we are up against either ourself as the standard someone we admire as a standard, or looking at someone that we feel like, I'm not saying they are beneath you, but we kind of secretly or subconsciously feel like they're beneath us, and we're kind of like, well, at least I'm not doing as bad as them. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying it's human nature. So, the Apostle Paul tells uh, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, those who measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 
So anytime you begin to compare yourself with somebody, whether that is I'm better than them or, well, I wish I was as good as them, anytime you begin to compare yourself with someone else, whether that's for spiritual reasons, financial reasons, successful reasons, I didn't say that you couldn't be inspired by somebody, but inspiration is different than comparison. Amen? When you begin to say, well, I don't know why I don't have that because I'm just as good as them, that is comparison. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, because apparently it was going on in that church, he says, if you do that, you're not wise. The Amplified Version says, they are without understanding and behave unwisely. Amen? We get caught up looking at our lives and piecing together a view of who we are based on our family, where we come from, how much or how little our parents had, how good or how bad we thought our parents were, what kind of mistakes we made growing up, what kind of kid we were in high school, who we were and weren't friends with, what we were good at and what we were bad at, what we do and think in private. That's what we begin to calculate. We, we've been gathering this information about ourselves for years, and we take that information and put it on a sliding scale of how good we think we are. Where are we at? You know, we want to know. Anybody ever just feel like you want some feedback of where am I at? How good am I? Right? How, how have I been doing? Where am I at on this good and bad scale? Right? Morally and spiritually, how good are we compared to what we see going on around us? So here, here's the other thing. <clears throat> the reason why morality has slipped, even in the church, is because we're not, we're not judging morality based on what God says and who God says we are. We're judging our morality based on who is doing what around us. Come on. Well, they said it's okay. This seems to be working out fine for them. And here's another thing. Just because our government makes something legal doesn't mean it's right. Come on. So we, we begin to get all these things. And, and this is, and I know, I know this may be taking a long way around it, but I want you to see how we gather all this information up from all these different places. And really what we're doing is we're trying to gather all this information up to try to, to pinpoint where we are. Do we need to come up? Do we need to, you know, where are we at here? Are we doing pretty good? Or, uh, you know, I'm kind of doing all right for myself. You know, I think, I think I'm just good enough. You know what I mean? Or... Some of us live in guilt and shame knowing that we're not measuring up. Who, who are we trying to measure up to? Well, what we're trying to measure up to is what society tells us is measurable. Right? That's, if, if, if I'm going to be looked at as someone who's doing good, I need to, to, to bring it up a little bit in these certain areas. Right? All this is going to make sense in a minute. This scale slides from one, one side that says I'm good enough, the other side that says I'm not good enough, I'm doing just as good as them, or at least I'm not as bad as them. That's where this scale slides back and forth. We're, we're, we're judging ourselves. We're, we're trying to find loopholes to justify who we are and what we're doing. The reason, this is the reason grace is not amazing for, for us a lot of times because we still have the mindset that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. That's what we're really trying to judge there. And we, don't, we know, I mean, you guys have been taught enough to know, you, you know that. You know, if I, if I stood up here tonight and said, you know, bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven, you'd go, I don't know about that. You know that, you know it, but do you have a revelation of that? Because if you have a revelation of that, we would get off of the sliding scale of good versus bad and begin to really find out how good God has been to us. Amen? Amen? Come on. I'm, I'm, it's going to make more sense here in a minute. There are days that you wake up and feel like you're on, on the bad end of your scale, and there are days you wake up and you feel like you're on the good end of your scale. The problem is, it's always your scale. Amen? 
And the Bible says right here that you are unwise, we are unwise to do that because our scale is based on ourself and our scale is based on those around us. Your bad, good scale is the biggest enemy to grace being amazing in your life. Amen? It's the biggest enemy. And, and here in a minute, you're going to realize how much we need to be focusing on the goodness of God in our life, the grace and the favor of God in our life. So, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus because they were dealing with this very issue, feeling good one minute and bad the next. So, Ephesians, the second chapter... The first verse, it says, I love this, here's, here's where it's all going to come together, where it's not going to be good versus bad anymore. Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. And you he made good, who were bad. Is that what it says? No, he said, And you he made alive, who were dead. In trespasses and sin. You never read one time where God came to make the bad good. But you do see where he came to make the dead alive. Amen? You, one bad thing, one sin in your life, you were as bad as you were ever going to get. You were dead. The wages of sin is death. Right? One little white lie and you're as bad as you're ever going to be. Now, there are people in this earth that do things that are a whole lot worse on society. And so, therefore, we put those in these categories of they're real bad. They're, yeah, they're real bad for society and real bad for their self. But one white lie and you're just as bad as them. Come on now. In God's eyes, one sin, one sin. And you're just as bad as the most rank sinner, murderer, rapist. Bad, if you want to say bad and good. See, there's no such thing as just a little bad or a little good. Come on. If it's bad, it's bad. If it's sin, it's sin. I mean, Adam and Eve didn't kill nobody. Did they? Well, as far as we know, Adam never slept around on his wife. As far as we know, you know, the only thing that they did, and I say the only very lightly, but in our society, a little disobedience is nothing. In our society, we would go, well, God is, he's touchy, isn't he? He just disobeyed a little bit. I mean, we didn't know you really meant don't eat the fruit of that tree. Just disobeyed a little bit, Right? They were just a little bad. Got kicked out of the garden thousands of years to get Jesus here so we could over a little, little piece of fruit. No, it was sin. It was sin, period. So when you begin to re re recognize that, that just because you, you're like, well, I've got a little bit of sin, but that person over there has got a real bunch of sin because I'm, so I'm doing better than them. But that person, I don't really see much sin in their life at all, so they're doing a little bit better than me. So I'm kind of somewhere between not doing too bad and, and, and you know, way down here somewhere. And so you, know, you see how this sliding scale of bad versus good kind of makes us try to justify where we are and make us feel kind of okay? But listen, nothing, none of it should make you feel okay if that is your view of looking at how God sees you. Thank God God doesn't see us bad and good. He only sees us dead or alive. Come on. He only sees us dead or alive. Stop looking at it as he sees us good or bad. And you say, well, you know, if you keep telling people that, that it doesn't matter good or bad, then they're just going to be bad. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think when people begin to see that a little bad was so much bad that it would cause death, that we were dead in any of our trespasses or sin, but he came and made us alive, I want to go towards the alive part and less away from the dead part. Amen. But God, verses 4 through 8, but God who is rich in mercy. So mercy goes right along with grace because mercy is not getting what you did deserve. That's mercy. If you have mercy on someone, that means I could 
nail you to the wall about this, but I'm not going to. Grace is favor that you didn't deserve. Mercy is judgment that you did deserve that I didn't didn't give you. So he says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Of course, we all know that scripture there. But God's grace is so amazing. He didn't see you as bad. He saw you as dead. Come on now. I want you to get a picture of this. Because we see ourselves as bad. And the reason why we see ourselves as bad is because condemnation, guilt, and shame comes from sin if you don't understand grace. Amen? And Satan brings guilt, shame, and condemnation when you do something or back before you got saved when you were living in that way, that guilt and shame and condemnation. People put guilt and shame and condemnation on you when they find out you did something. Even though they might be doing ten time, ten things ten times worse behind closed doors, they just ain't got, no, got caught yet. You ever had somebody do that to you? I had somebody do that to me one time. Boy, they shamed me, and I felt bad. I'm talking about, I was in high school, they, I felt bad. Man, I just, was, I just was sick to my stomach of how, you know, felt bad because I got caught, not because I did. <laughs> and then, and then, about a week later, I found out they lied to me about something way worse. I'm like, the whole time you're shaming me. You sitting there shaming me, and you've done something way worse than me to me. Well, that's what the enemy does. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Guilt, shame, condemnation. And guilt and shame and condemnation, all of that is made, it's specifically designed by the enemy to keep you away from mercy and grace. I want you to think about that. I'm not saying that you should not feel remorse. I'm not saying that you you should not feel conviction when you are going a direction that's contrary to the plan and the purpose of God for your life. That's not what I'm saying. But when, when you begin to get guilt and shame and condemnation and fear that God does not want to see me. Holy fear is different than shame fear. Holy fear is that reverence that when you get in the presence of God and it's so strong that you just don't know what to do. You just, you just fall on your knees. You fall on your face. I've been in, in situations with that many times. Well, I've been praying, praying in the Holy Spirit, worshiping, and such a presence of God comes in the place. You just, you can't help, you just, you just want to curl up in a ball because there's this holy fear that comes on you. I'm not scared of God, but it's just a sense of the, the Almighty is in the room and you go, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not worthy. Great thing about God, he says, in Christ you are. Come boldly before my throne, Right? But guilt and shame and condemnation is specifically designed by Satan because, listen, he's not welcome in the presence of God. He's not. So therefore, he's transferring his guilt and shame and condemnation onto you every time you do something that he knows is contrary to the Word of God. Ooh, look what, he's shaming you. Shaming you to keep you away from grace and mercy because he knows you have access to grace and mercy and he does not come on now if we'll get a revelation of this about how good God is and how good his grace is even in the face of of us not being perfect there would be something on the inside of us and this is kind of where I'm getting to tonight maybe jumping ahead of myself a little bit but if, if, if we would begin to, to understand this more and more and get a revelation more and more there would be something that that just uncontrollably flowed from you when you're around sinners where you couldn't help but talk about how good not in a gloating way not in a 
Well, I'll tell you what, God's been good to me. Not, you know, and, and, and you know, I don't know about you, but he's been good to me. No, it would be in a, in a way that would be so attractive that they would go, I've got to experience this grace that you have experienced. But most of the time we work at it as you're bad and you need to be good. Where the Bible says, no, you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. And he's been so good that he'll forgive all that so that you can be alive like me. Come on now. That he can put you into a place of righteousness where you're accepted. And you don't even have to earn it. He earned it for us. Isn't that good? Amplified uh, version of this, uh, verses 4 through 8 say this, But God, so rich is He in His mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which He loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ Himself, the same new life with which He quickened uh, Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ Himself. This, I'm sorry, I, I repeated that. The same new life with which He quickened, um, keeps quickened Him for it by grace, His favor and mercy which you did not deserve. And you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Verse 6, And He raised us up together with Him, and made us sit together, sit down together, giving us joint seating with Him in the heavenly sphere, by virtue of our being, in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He did this that He might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of His free grace, his unmerited favor, and his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. So God's grace is amazing. It says right here it's immeasurable, it's limitless, and surpassing in riches, and it's free to us. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Limitless. Limitless grace. I don't know about you, but I have definitely gotten situations in my life where I thought I had reached the limit. Anybody? If there's a limit, there, there it is, right there. I found the limit. No, you didn't. You didn't even come close to the limit. You didn't do anything for it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to keep it. You can't measure it. You can't limit it. God's grace did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. God doesn't have a scale of ranking you as bad or good. He only sees dead or alive. Dead or alive. Alive how? Alive in Christ. That's the only way you can be alive. If you're not in Christ, you're dead. If you're in Christ, you're alive. Amen? He raised us up together. Is Christ alive some days and he's not alive other days? No, once he was risen, he's been alive, amen? So if we've been raised together with him, then we're alive. Not some days, not on the days we're doing good, but the days we're doing bad, we're dead again. No, 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 no. We may be, we may be mimicking a dead person, but we're still alive. The Holy Spirit and our reborn again spirit in us is not dead, it's alive. It has eternal life, amen? Well, as I said a while ago, people will abuse grace if we preach that God is that good and that rich in mercy. But let's go over to Romans, the fifth chapter. Just a little bit, just a few more verses here. Romans, the fifth chapter. And don't forget, I'm really kind of going over this. Some of you, some of you guys probably know a lot of this. Um, but this is the kind of stuff, I'm not saying that you go and you, you teach this whole thing unless you want to. Uh, to a sinner, but these are, these are some things that we need to begin to understand about us because if we understand the grace of God as it concerns us, then we'll know how to talk to people about the grace of God. Like you, uh, I know you got all this stuff going on in your life, and I know uh, you've got addictions in your life, and I know you've got uh, issues in your life, and I know this, that, and the other, but the, but the real issue is, is are you dead or are you alive? 
And if you're dead, then God's got enough grace to bring you back to life. Amen? So Romans, the fifth chapter, starting in verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered, so this is the law of Moses, the law entered that the one, I'm sorry, that the offense might abound. The law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now go on to chapter 6. What shall we say then? So the chapters, the chapters uh, switched, but the train of thought remained, okay? When Paul was writing this to the Romans, he didn't stop and say, now chapter 6, I start a new thought. The same thought. So go back up to verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the, the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did, abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 1 of, of chapter 6, but what shall we say then? Meaning, because of this, what is our conclusion Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So apparently, like we have problems today, maybe they had problems back then in, in the early church, especially the Romans, where if Paul was to preach that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, they might compute it as, well, the more I sin, the more opportunity that God has to show how, much, how graceful he is towards me. You know? And so he, he's kind of clearing that up. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And verse 2, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So if I've died to it, if I'm dead to it, why would I want to live in it? Amen? Why would I want to live in it? And he goes on. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives... He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul is talking to them about this conflict of, well, if God is so rich in grace and so rich in mercy, we can just do what we want to do, and His grace will cover that. His grace will be good for that. And Paul's going, no, you're, you're missing the concept here. The concept is before you receive Jesus Christ into your life, it didn't matter what little problem or what little sin you had in your life. It didn't matter your sliding scale. It didn't matter how good you thought you were or, or, or how so-so you thought you were. Or maybe I'll squeak by. It didn't matter. You were, everybody was going to hell. <laughs> we were all dead. All dead. But God, He's so rich in mercy and He's got so much grace uh, pointed towards us, so much favor that he sent his son to die so that we could live. And if he died to sin and we supposedly died with him, then we're dead to sin. And if he was raised again to life, then we were raised to life too. So therefore, I'm going to allow that old body of sin to continually be uh, crucified and continually lay that down. And I'm going to continue to walk after life. Amen? I, I, don't, I don't want that anymore. I'm dead to it. I'm not saying you're not going to mess up. 
And that's where the grace of God comes in. That's where the mercy of God comes into our life. But if we really truly understand that it's not about good and bad and it's not about seeing what we can do and not get caught and, it, and it's not about seeing what we can get away with in our society today, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can get away with a whole lot more in society today than what God deems as behavior for Christians. I'm, t- I'm not talking about citizens. I'm talking about Christians in church today can, can justify a whole lot more than what has ever been justified. Amen? It's not about finding the loophole. There are none. There are none. There's only life or death. Come on. And if we choose Christ, we chose life. And if we chose Christ and we chose life, then we also chose to die to sins. Amen? Is this okay? The reason why sin dominates our lives sometime after we're saved is because we haven't come to the realization of the freedom and grace that we now live in in Christ. We're still just trying to be good. You still let the good, bad scale dominate your life with its roller coaster of emotions. You're happy one day, then you're sad. Happy when things are going good, sad when they're not. Satisfied one, one minute, dissatisfied the next minute. Guilty one minute, shame, condemnation, fear of punishment. And then when you're doing good, when you've checked all the boxes, what comes upon your life? Joy and peace. That's joy and peace that you made on your own. You're happy with yourself because you chose the right thing. And I'm here to tell you that if you chose Jesus and you chose life, then even on your worst days, you can also choose joy and peace instead of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Because he paid for joy unspeakable and full of glory. He paid for peace that surpasses understanding. So when you do mess up and that torment comes, you can back torment up and say, I died to that. Now, now that, that, that sin or that whatever, whatever uh, you, you're feeling bad about, it might knock on your door a hundred times and say, you're supposed to pay me some guilt and shame and condemnation here. Anybody ever had that? Knock on your door. Hey, where's my guilt and shame and condemnation and most of the time we go you're right I'm a bad boy but if we go you know Jesus paid for that I messed up I did but Jesus paid for that and so I'm, I'm, I'm dead to this and I'm going after life and, and there is fullness of joy there and peace that surpasses all understanding so I don't have to give you guilt and shame and condemnation. I can repent to my Lord without having guilt, shame, and condemnation. Amen? You can repent without guilt, shame, and condemnation. Repenting is just admitting, I did wrong. I'm turning from that. I'm turning from the death to the life. But I don't have to pay guilt, shame, and condemnation. I can turn from it and receive joy and peace and mercy. Amen? If you could just see and get the realization that he paid the price and we were raised together in his life, in his grace and mercy, and it's all free, no payment necessary, no sacrifice to be made to earn his love and forgiveness that he gives to us freely. If we could just see that, if we could just get a hold of that, that would, it would, it would flow from us freely when we're around sinners and they would recognize that. Because they're not expecting you to be perfect. I think that's, that probably gets on sinners' nerves more than anything. Is that when we appear perfect, when everybody knows we're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if we're real, and we go, yeah, there's some days I struggle. But guess what? Even on the days that I struggle, I don't struggle long because I go back to life and, and I turn from death. I've been saved from that. And if they understand and know that, you're, that you struggle but yet you have somewhere to go because they struggle and they have nowhere to go. 
But see, we've painted a picture as a Christian as we don't struggle. We don't sin, we don't struggle, we don't have issues, we don't have problems. And then they get around us for a little while and they go, no, I, I, know, what, I know what you did last summer, you know. <laughs> I heard about what you said. You don't have, you don't have, you putting all this perfect show. No, they're not looking for, for perfection. They're looking for someone who has found an answer for when they're not perfect. Amen? And when they see that and they hear your testimony and they get around you and go, well, they're not perfect, but they've got something I, got, I don't have. They got somewhere to go that I don't have to go. They're, they're finding peace and joy and, and living in this world, and, and I need to find out where that's at. And then you have the opportunity to say, it's the grace of God on my life. And you can have it too, amen? Uh, go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I want to show you something. <clears throat> we'll close here in just a minute. Man, where would we be without grace? Dead. Dead. Dead in our sins and our trespasses. Dead men walking, right? Hebrews 10 Verse 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. How do you know what a covenant is? They're very rare today. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant, but not like it was back then. Covenant means when we enter into this, it really is until death we part. That's what... I mean, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about, I'm talking about in those deals. Like they would, we, we're not breaking this. If we break this, there was punishment involved. And so the Lord never breaks a covenant. They're very serious to him. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins... And their lawless deeds I will remember no more. How can a God that knows everything forget what I did? He chooses to. By grace and by the favor of God, by the mercy of God. He says it right here. This is a covenant that he's making. Their sins and their lawless deeds, he says, I'm going to remember them no more. You know, this, this is something that's, that's hit me hard several times, and, and if it hits you hard tonight, good, I meant for it to. But you know that person that offended you that you won't forgive them? And you say, well, I can't ever forget what they did to me. Even the Lord forgets. Maybe it's time for you to forget too. Come on. Maybe it's time for the, maybe if the Lord can forgive and forget, you can too. Matter of fact, he says, if you don't, I won't forgive you. So the Lord will remember you not forgiving somebody of something that he forgot. <laughs> Come on. The Lord will remember you being unforgiving towards a person that he forgot and forgave their sin. So if he can forgive it and forget it, we can too. Amen? What, what verse was on? Their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Verse 18, now where there is remission of, of these, there are no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy, holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another uh, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of son, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So God's grace 
is amazing, it's abundant, it's rich. And so the question today isn't how good have you been, but how alive or how dead have you been? And if, you, if you've received Jesus Christ in your life, you can always choose the alive route. Amen? We should choose the alive route. We're dead to that. doesn't matter what tries to get thrown up in your face, in your heart, in your conscience, what the enemy tries to shove on you over and over again. No matter how many times he brings the picture of what that person did. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Where you go, okay, okay, enough's enough. I'm just going to forget about it. And you're minding your own business. And then all of a sudden you get this picture of what old so-and-so did to you. And then here we go again. And we're all on the unforgiven uh, rally. And, 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 you know, we got the pitchforks and the, and the, and the uh, you know, uh, what do you call those things? Um, it doesn't matter. Indiana Jones, you know. The torches, there we go. Torch and the pitchforks, you know. And we're, we're going after the person in our heart. And we're, we're coming up with what we're going to say when we see them next time. And then you go, okay, okay. Just enough is enough. I just, and then, and then... The sorry sucker has the audacity to post something on Facebook and you go, I think they're talking about me. And they're not. They don't even know that you're mad. That's just the enemy. That's just the enemy. Come on now. Start walking towards life and away from death. You've already done it by faith, by receiving Jesus Christ. Stop allowing those dead things to pull you back into the grave. Come on now. You came out, stay out. You know? How weird would it be if we all wanted to just hang out at, at cemeteries? You know, there are people that are like that, just want to hang out at cemeteries. Why? I went to one one time, I took a tour. Somebody paid for me to take a tour of a cemetery, and I was like, hmm, I'll, I'll wait, you know? <laughs> just give it some time, I'll be here shortly. <laughs> I don't want to tour it, you know. But, you know, when we get saved, a lot of times we, we get caught up in visiting our, our, our grave. And we, and we kind of make it sacred, you know. All that stuff should be cut off from us. That's not me no more. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, it'll pull you back. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. See, this is who you were. Look in the grave. Look in the grave. This is who you are. No, no, no. That's who I was. And I'm not no more. Stop trying to pull me back there. Oh, remember when, remember when, when, when you got offended at that? that? Come back to that. No, no, no. I'm not coming back to that because that's part of the old dead me. I'm alive now. And it does, that's not a part of me. You remember when, remember when uh, you used to have so much fun doing that? Remember, think about that for a little while. I had somebody tell me this one time. He said... If you start allowing yourself to think back, you will start to talk back, and eventually you will be back. I've seen it. I heard somebody say that. I literally saw it one time. Had somebody helping me with the teenagers. They were doing phenomenal, doing good. Their family was doing good. And then one day, they drove up, and I mean, they were, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting on secular music or anything like that. I, I, I listen to the stuff I like to listen to. But I will say this, I stay away for the most part from stuff that I listened to when I was listening to it. You know what I'm saying? You know, the ones that bring back the old memories and uh, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I had a uh, Christie's cousin, he's a good guy, but he used to not be. And we, we went to high school together and, and you just didn't mess with him. And uh, he was going to a certain church. And this certain church, he was talking to me, he's, and he's, he's kind of a, he, even though he's a good guy, he's rough. And uh, he's a, he's a uh, works in the oil rig and drilling and all that stuff. And he said, we tried to go down there to that church. He said, they make all their praise and worship songs sound like them old beer drinking songs. He said, I ain't going to church to think about drinking beer. He said, I want to go to church to, start, to worship Jesus. I got out of there for a reason. Well, those songs were making him in the church, making him think back. So, so I do stay away from that, but listen to me what I'm saying about this. This guy comes, comes up. He's helping me in the, in the youth and doing great. I'm talking about for a long time, doing really good. Listen to Christian music, and, you know, he's by all means still kind of a baby Christian. 
and needs to have as much, you know, uh, Christ and as much word in his life all day, every day. Well, one day I thought it was odd because normally he was pulling up and he'd have something Christian on. And one day he pulled up and he didn't. And I thought, oh, hmm. And then about a week later, he was saying, have you heard this song from someone? Man, that's a good song. And I was like, yeah, it's a good song. And then I'm real time watching this happen. Then he starts telling stories about the good old days that aren't so good. And I was, I was watching this and I thought, one day he was listening to stuff. Now he's talking about stuff. And now for probably the last 10 years, he ain't served God. Him and his wife are divorced. Kids are struggling. He went back. He started listening back. Started talking back. Started being back. We, we need to recognize those things in our life that aren't, to us, maybe sometimes we think they're play pretties. But they're not play pretties. They're things meant to hold us in the grave. They're things meant to draw us back to the grave. We're not in the grave no more. We got eternal life. Amen? And when we begin to get a revelation about that in our own life, then it'll be one of those tools as a Christian to begin to minister to people that we're with every day. Because it, you won't be able to help it. You won't be able, I mean, somebody will, might, might start talking to you about something completely unrelated. And next thing you know, you're talking about the goodness and the grace of God on your life. Come on. Is that all right? And it'll be real. And it'll be authentic. And they'll want to know who you're talking about.